Welcome to Biomechanics on Our Minds. I'm Dr. Melissa Boswell. And I'm Dr. Hannah O'Day. And we're researchers at Stanford University. It's, it's time, time for Boom. Welcome to Boom. Where we have Biomechanics on Our Minds. Boom. 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 Melissa, I have a surprise bit of boom for you. Ooh, I love surprises. <laughs> Did you know the type of electrode used when measuring EMG is actually one of the main sources of error? In fact, the variety of electrode type, the size, interelectrode distance, and the locations of the electrodes themselves can all have adverse consequences on data collection. Definitely. The design of the electrode is even more important when incorporating this with human-machine interfaces like the exoskeletons we've been talking about. For example, you don't want to introduce artifacts into your signals when the suit is directly over the sensors. Mm, that makes so much sense. I mean, the only way to get accurate data is to use the right equipment for your study, and it's so nice that our sponsor, Delsys, has such a wide variety of reliable EMG solutions. If our listeners would like to enter the drawing and have a chance at winning some of the latest Delsys EMG equipment, you can visit delsys.com boom. Welcome back to Biomechanics on Our Minds. I'm Hannah. <laughs> and I'm Melissa. <laughs> and we're still weird. Um, <laughs> but we have a super exciting episode for you today. In fact, our last episode was from the founders of Biomodem, which is a rehabilitation robotics or exoskeleton company. And it was really nice to get an industry perspective, both industry and research perspective on mm -hmm. the world of exoskeletons. But today we've got a little different interview from a different perspective. Yeah, we are really happy and honored to be talking to Jonas Grau-Thompson, who's the CEO of Nordic Bionics, and he's an expert wheelchair user and exoskeleton influencer. And his goal is to get exoskeletons out of the lab and into the world. And it was really awesome to hear his stories mm -hmm. as both an exoskeleton tester and as a consultant where he has a passion for connecting individuals who could benefit from exoskeletons with the latest developing technologies. And he's just such a fun human. It was such a great conversation. So we're really excited to share it with you. Yeah, I think you can just like hear his passion for it. And I think the impact of it and in, in his stories and the, the lives that he's touched through mm -hmm. it. And it's, it's really exciting to see people like Jonas who come into the space through their personal experiences, mm -hmm. right? And really just have this passion to help people. And as scientists, it's important to have these people who lead, you know, getting the technology out into right. the world and sharing it with people. Right. He's like a super connector of all the yeah. different perspectives and exactly. people. And it's just really awesome. But before we get started, we wanted to ask that if you enjoy Boom, make sure to subscribe, rate and review us and share this episode or your favorite one with someone who you think would enjoy it as well. This could be your favorite, your new favorite too. <laughs> Every new episode we have is, is your new favorite. favorite. <laughs> all the oh, episodes are my favorite. <laughs> So if that's you, then I guess you better start sharing. <laughs> Welcome back to Boom, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest, Jonas Grau-Thompson, who's the CEO of Nordic Bionics and is also an expert wheelchair user, an exoskeleton influencer, and test pilot, a motivational speaker, and an old school nerd and dad. I think these were your, your words. <laughs> Indeed, they are. Thank you. I'm glad to be with you. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, we have as well. We're really happy to have you here. And 
really appreciate you willing to be on and share your story because it's quite an exciting one. And we'd love if you could just start off by telling us how your passion for exoskeletons or what you call your search for a bionic solution began. Well, it, it started way back, actually. It started when I was around six. I was uh, I had a big surgery, and uh, and they basically told me that I was uh, only able to walk for 10 years more. And I blankly refused that statement, and uh, that has been part of my life ever since. I just refused not to be able to uh, to walk. But then some uh, some 10 years ago, I um, I felt that they might be right. <laughs> so I began searching for a solution for a, for my problem. I could see that if I if I didn't find a solution, I wouldn't be able to to walk ten years more. I was kind of right. I am barely able to walk now. But it, then ten years ago, I I realized that exoskeletons was a thing. Cyberdyne had back then only just announced their whole exoskeleton. So obviously, I called them and asked them if I could try it. And they basically said, and you are? <laughs> so I, I realized that I had to, uh, to become an expert if I, could, if I wanted to make this a living and uh, find, a, find a solution for me. Yeah, I could imagine that there's a lot of different responses that somebody could have to being told that they wouldn't be able to walk. And I could imagine some of those might be feelings of defeat and and for me, it's quite amazing to hear your story of just feeling so motivated to find a solution. Um, and now it's not just a solution for you that you feel motivated about, but sort of the bigger mm-hmm. bigger picture and the, all of the people that can be helped by it. But I am curious about your motivation and, and just really your drive and will to want to make sure that you can walk. And what does it like mean for you to be able to walk? And, and why is it you know, such a driving force in throughout this journey for you? I mean, given that I have earlier been able to, to walk, this is kind of a, um, I didn't want to let anybody define what I could and who I was. So it became a kind of a, um, well, not a fight, but I just want to to choose my own path and choose what I can and what I can't do. And beside that, it is a question of down to health. It is so, so incredibly uh, unhealthy to sit down for so uh, so many times, so many hours of a day. I am. I don't know if you have heard it, but there's a new uh, new buzzword that, uh, that says uh, sitting is new smoking, where where they basically uh, compare the two and the the health risk that the two of them uh, impose. And I did a lot of research uh, into this when I, yeah, during the last 10 years. And and basically, there's an American study that says that if you sit in a wheelchair, you have the risk of dying 20 years earlier than uh, your peer group. When you combine all the the, the illnesses, uh, cardiovascular disease, uh, diabetes, uh, overweight in general, weakening of bones and just as a whole host of issues uh, when sitting down. So knowing all this gave me a lot of inspiration, motivation to actually uh, to tell this story, not only 
it, it is fine. I'm still looking for a solution for me. But as you said, it is it has become much bigger now. It has become obvious that this technology could help millions around the world, millions who are now sitting in a wheelchair that might not need to sit in a wheelchair. My situation is similar to that. I am I am able to walk, and I could walk at home. I just need to uh, to have something to uh, uh, to reach out to if I if I lose my balance. So that is that is basically it, and. Now it's just become part of my life to uh, to to open the conversation about this because many people don't know how uh, how bad it is to to sit in a wheelchair. Well, not bad, but how uh, unhealthy it is. And I want to uh, to tell this story and to show it to the world. Well, thank you. Your passion rings through so true, and it's it's amazing to hear how yeah like Melissa said, it's gone from your personal to a larger picture, but sort of going back to your personal motivations and sort of this bionic solution, could you just share a little bit about what bionics, that word means to you? For me, bionics is simply the augmentation of the body, be that an exoskeleton or be that a prosthetic arm or leg, any, any technology that's in at least is equal to uh, to the to what you have lost or better is bionics in my my mind. So basically, uh, and a hearing aid would also be a bionic uh, equipment because that enables you to to do the things you could before you had the, you lost the ability in this case to hear. So so it's just te- as technology that enables you to do the things you could before or or do more is basically what I think is bionics. Yeah. Enabling technology or yeah, technology Mm -hmm. that enables that's I think a really nice definition of it. And I think a a good way to think about it too, in that it's, you know, helping people be able to kind of what you were saying, like do the things that are important to them. And yeah, I can see why that, feels motivating then to be in that area. And in addition to that area, you on your LinkedIn page, you have a suite of different words, including inclusion, disability, future trends, user-centered design, wearable technology. And as we've gotten to know you, it's clear how these kind of all tie together. But maybe we could talk about that a little bit more, why you chose a specific subset of words to focus on and, and showcasing on your page, and then how they tie together in your life. Yeah, for me, as you as you say, it's a it's a good combination when you when you get to know me. But from for me, one of my biggest uh, fights is to, as I said earlier, I don't accept peop- other people defining who I am and what I can do, and that is kind of my uh, my core tenant when it comes to uh, to inclusion. The fact that I'm a wheelchair user shouldn't in any way influence other people's idea of who I am and what I can do and what what uh, how my uh, my work performance is. That is kind of uh, one of the most important things for me. To don't assume you know anybody before you have, you get to know them. That's kind of what I what I want to say with that. And I don't really. Um, it's just a, a a combination of all of them is kind of it has it, it has melded into the work I do. It is it has become who I am. 
it's so cool to have that evolution and it's nice to be able to have the words that can kind of like be the the sort of cloud around all of that that makes makes you up and so we appreciate you sharing that and um and, and yeah, and I hope that people through this podcast get to know you a little better and then even maybe even further beyond the podcast too, to get to know what all those words mean and how they play into your life. But hopefully we'll, we'll focus on them too with our next question. But you mentioned that lately your focus has been on the need for a multidisciplinary approach. You, those words are multidisciplinary. We talked about your name is like a mix of three languages. You are multidisciplinary <laughs> in so many ways already. <laughs> um, but I, I'm wondering, especially with respect to the work you're doing, why do you think that this multidisciplinary approach has not been taken in the past or why is there a need for it? Let's start there. The way I see it, uh, exoskeletons has been engineering uh, challenge uh, all the way from the beginning. It, it feels like it was, it is built from an engineering way of looking at things where you identify a problem, you find a, a, a mechanical solution for this problem, and you can, uh, you can put two lines under it and say, that's it, you're done. The problem is that engineering and organics doesn't really go that well together, and it feels a lot like many of the exoskeletons of today. It almost seems like the user comes as an afterthought. Oh, wait, we need to put a human in here. Well, we'll put some padding here and there and uh, call it a day. And, and that is kind of why I'm calling for a multidisciplinary uh, approach to this, because it can't only be engineers. Of course, we need engineers, but we also need uh, probably nurses. We need uh, uh, psychologists. We need all host of different faculties that, that works together in, in, in making this. And I said, psychologist, and that is actually one of the, the more important parts of, of this because there was a study also from, from the US where there was this, uh, this guy, this was early days in exoskeleton uh, research, where he, um, he had been a wheelchair user for, for many, many years. Don't know the exact amount of years, but it was uh, a lot of years. And he's, all his friends were in, in wheelchairs. His, um, his social uh, ring was in, uh, in, in people with wheelchairs. He, he identified himself by being in a wheelchair, as you do. I can attest to that. And then they gave him an, uh, an exoskeleton to test out. And he ended up giving it back again because he could not identify with the person he was in the wheelchair, uh, sorry, in the exoskeleton. He was no longer a part of his uh, social group, and that made him feel lonely and uh, and, and and an outcast of his uh, his uh, social group. So that is very very important to have in, in in your mind. You you identify with the people you are around, and if you are all of a sudden taken out of this uh, context, it is the same with people that is maybe after an accident is uh, put in a wheelchair. They also have a crisis of uh, personality to, uh, to 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 figure out who um, who are they now. So, and exactly the same happens when you get out of the wheelchair again. Yeah. So this multidisciplinary approach that I like your emphasis on on psychology and being mixed in with engineers and you mentioned nurses and then of course this the user as oh, yeah, well yeah, as you mentioned and the user centered right. The user should absolutely be the, 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 the thing that is, that is in the middle. No doubt about that. 
the user needs to be in the middle. The user, the needs of the user needs to be in the absolute focus point, and then all the other things kind of uh, work, uh, stacks on top of that. It is basically the the other way around compared to what it is today. Right, with engineer, you kind of said sort of engineering's in the middle yeah. of it, and then the user's sort of a peripheral. <laughs> when you're talking about the story about the user and, and how they identify, I'm really curious if you've experienced that and or like what advice you would share if somebody comes across that either as you know designing for exoskeletons or perhaps even even a user of it it seems like it could it it is a really big challenge and how do we how do we sort of navigate that change in identity and are there ways that as the engineer or designer that we can help bridge that a little bit better for the user if I understand your question, the thing that would make exoskeletons easier to uh, to accept for the user would absolutely be be something. Well, it's of course down to uh, preferences and uh, and and per- personal taste. But but in in many uh, many cases, people with disabilities, well, some people with disabilities, not to generalize all, but. But the thing most people strive for when they have a disability is to make the the, the assistive devices uh, as uh, as neutral as possible, so so that people are seeing them instead of uh, the assistive device. I know this is from being a wheelchair user that people often see the wheelchair before they see uh, they see me when coming into a, a group of people I haven't met before. Well. I don't let them look at my wheelchair for long, and uh, I just uh, open the party. But not all people are as, as open and forthcoming as I am. So, so uh, but but for for exoskeletons and exosuits, I actually think that exosuits is going to be uh, the technology that is going to uh, to prevail in the the long run. I think that the more neutral uh, approach would be the better approach to let people maybe even have it underneath their clothes. So they they only can show they only show it if they want to show it. Sort of yeah, let them put the ownership or like the design of their identity back in the hands of the user. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, it reminds me of we've had a mobility series with some amazing people working in the mobility and co-design space, and they had a lot of these similar thoughts of like talking about the rigidity of our current built world and how that doesn't allow for really this, what everyone deserves, which is the ability to craft their own identity, shape their own identity and have a flexible world that is welcoming and open to that. I love hearing these points again and love seeing like seeing it in a, in a different application and, and, and new light in the work that you're doing and, and the thoughts that you're sharing with us. Yeah, but basically, you said uh, mobility, and 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 if, if exoskeletons is basically mobility, right? It is the ability to uh, to to choose your own mobility and to uh, to go go where you want instead of uh, only um, uh, going where you can. That is basically the the difference from a wheelchair and a, an exoskeleton, right? Going where you want, not only where you can. Yeah, yeah that's really powerful. That is so powerful. We're definitely going to pull that out as a quote. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'd like to talk about your consulting company, Nordic Bionics, and want to talk about some of the goals you have as a company. I could see them being motivated by a lot of the things we've talked about already. But yeah, could you just share sort of your clear goals for the company? Yeah, my goals with Nordic Bionics 
is to showcase these uh, these technologies. I have tested uh, tested a couple of exoskeletons now, and and what I what I like to do is to uh, to test these uh, devices and um, actually show them to the world. My goal is to make make this technology as normal as it as any anything else. I mean, right now it's almost still in a in a in a shroud of a sci-fi uh, mythology uh, mm-hmm. talking about exoskeletons, but in 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 reality, exoskeletons is pretty uh, down to earth. It's just a suit you put on. It's almost like a knee brace. Most people know a, a knee brace uh, already, right? And and an exoskeleton is basically a powered knee brace. I actually think that the Kyoko exoskeleton is itself as a powered knee brace. So, so but but my my ambitions with the with Nordic Bionics is to um, to educate people on this and to uh, to test and show exoskeletons. There's a lot of people out there that have no idea that exoskeletons is actually a thing. I've consulted uh, people from all over the world um, have been contacting me to to ask about exoskeletons for their children and for exoskeletons for, for any use case. And so I basically have become the, the binding uh, link between the users who uh, want to uh, get something better, especially for their kids and, uh, and the industry. So I like my position being kind of in the middle where I can, I can consult the companies, but I can also uh, inform the users. And that's, that's kind of what I, what I want to do. I feel like you're a great translator. We've talked about your multidisciplinarities and it's, yeah, that's a key, I think, piece to being a good translator between both sides. Are there any surprising learnings or challenges that you've (laughs) had to communicate from the users to the exoskeleton companies? Like, I don't know, either top one or top three that you'd like to share? Yeah, again, again, exoskeleton being being primarily uh, engineering, it has been... uh, (laughs) <laughs> they, um, the main thing has has been that they want to personal, personalize it and, and not just having the, the colors the engineers thought was the best idea to uh, to put on the, <laughs> the exoskeleton. <laughs> I, um, I don't know if you uh, know the, the whole exoskeleton from Cyberdyne. It is well, it's basically a, a white exoskeleton. When they first realized, uh, sorry, released it, it uh, it had blue rings all over it, and it was really really sci-fi, and I loved it. I I want one. I wanted one of those. I mean, it looked right out of sci-fi. That <laughs> I needed that. But um, unfortunately, unfortunately, they um, they decided to not have these uh, big glowing lights on the newer exoskeletons. I had the pleasure of actually testing uh, the Cyberdyne exoskeleton last week at a reha camp in, uh, in Germany. Fun fun experience. So, but, but yeah, I mean, given given that most people don't really know about exoskeletons, it's not it's not like uh, people are uh, are too eager to uh, to have them changed because they they really don't know what what it is yet. Yeah, yeah, what to even change and 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 to be honest, I don't think the, the industry know it's know that either because as it, as it is right now, it's a bit like the, the EV market before Tesla. Basically, everybody is trying to uh, to to make that exoskeleton that's going to uh, to to rule them all. 
But unfortunately, that approach lead, leads to a lot of simultaneous uh, research, research that is uh, basically researching the same um, subjects and, and, well, coming to the same conclusion. And that is, in, in my opinion anyway, uh, a waste of time. But I, I, I would much rather have uh, that we collaborated and, uh, and, and found the good solution together. But, but everybody, of course, needs to, uh, to have that patent, patent that is going to make them rich. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like, yeah, it sounds like we've gotten a little away from the <laughs> needs of the user and a little toward a different goal with that. But <laughs> yeah, there's definitely, <laughs> yeah, like keeping sight of what, you know, the, the, the end goal is to help people right. here, right? I'm curious when people reach out to you and they're expressing that they're their child or that they want to learn more about exoskeletons, like what is it that you share with them? Do you can actually connect them with companies that you feel like might be able to meet their needs? Like what is the type of information that it, you feel like is helpful to share with them? And then are are the companies also open to you connecting them with users? Um, and then being involved. I mean, a, a good example of how uh, how my work my work is done is actually I um, I have a, a friend in Portland, and uh, he uh, he's a um, occupational therapist, I think it's called, and he uh, he have a son with uh, with CP cerebral uh, palsy. He works within uh, ex- the exoskeleton industry, and he obviously knows a lot about it. Uh, uh, exoskeletons and being a dad to uh, a kid with uh, CP. So uh, I've um, I've learned about uh, a lot from him. I uh, I was myself considered having CP when I was little, so I've been through a lot of the same uh, uh, treatments as uh, as he ki- his kid is uh, going through now. That's a whole other subject that would be interesting to uh, to revisit. But basically, I was also contacted by a guy from New York who also had a kid with CP, but he had no idea that uh, exoskeletons was a thing before he saw uh, saw me talking about them. So he wanted to know a lot about how uh, how these uh, exoskeletons, what it was, how they could be used to uh, to treat uh, CP more uh, effectively. And what I was able to do uh, was to uh, to connect these two guys together over, uh, yeah, basically the span of uh, the US to uh, to talk about this. So... Of course, that doesn't really make me much uh, much money for the company, but but I actually just like what I'm doing. The whole thing of of having to uh, to make a living from it was actually a bit almost an afterthought because I want to to make sure that people get the right treatment and the the right knowledge to make sure that they are they're, they're living. Uh, uh, as full life as possible. That is, <laughs> that is, that is basically what I what I want to do. I love how that sort of echoes what we talked about earlier with the user at the middle and other things on the periphery. I think, and if we we were kind of talking just before this about sort of people focus on the patent to end them all, but I think your mindset and philosophy is much more genuine, and I think where we all want, all want to be is like with the user at the middle and money as you say as an afterthought or p- peripheral it's important for right for development but also yeah but keeping the user at the center absolutely i set out to become a tester of these uh, these technologies both because i was obviously still uh, searching for uh, 
for a solution, but also because if I test these technologies, I know from experience how what works, what doesn't work. It is not something something you can uh, you can you can learn in a in a class. It's something you you either need to uh, to wear them and to to test them, because the whole thing with exoskeleton uh, development is that many exoskeletons has been developed from computer simulation, where it's basically uh, a simula- simulation of the the, the 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 perfect body, the the Da Vinci and man uh, kind of scenario, and and the problem is. Not to put myself in too bad of a light, but I'm definitely not a Da Vincian man, given that I have been walking well wrong basically <laughs> for my for my whole life. I obviously had some follow up uh, conditions in uh, in my back basically that doesn't really uh, enables me to 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 walk the same as um, YouTube probably are. That again kind of uh, links back to uh, having the user in, in, in the, the middle of this. You need to actually uh, build these devices for the people who is going to, uh, to use them. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and considering the whole person too, like you're saying, everybody is, is different, not just in their walking ability, but then also other, you know, their, their psychology, other physical challenges, like you're saying with like, you know, back problems that have started because of this. So everybody is so different in being able to consider not just the each person as an individual, but also them as a whole being too. Seems like really important. And I'm curious if we can expand more on your experiences as a test pilot of exoskeletons. So have there been times, I guess, that have been, you've had a really good experience or the opposite, a really bad experience and, and what sort of things kind of make an, an experienced test piloting a new exoskeleton more or less positive or enjoyable? The thing, I've, I've tested a lot of different things right now. I've, I've tested exoskeletons and I've tested different rehabilitation systems. So, so but basically the, the, the thing that comes in mind is, <laughs> it is it is actually down to psychology again. Uh, something I had not expected when uh, when when I was going when I started out uh, as testing these devices during the last ten years my uh, my ability to walk has uh, decreased um, steadily and I am now only able to walk very few steps without having something to uh, to hold on to and I had not seen this uh, this as a big problem but of course it wasn't uh, ideal not being able to walk but uh, it I didn't see this as from a psychology psychology um, view and and then I began testing these devices and I this was not an exoskeleton I tested this but this was kind of a, a weight reducing rehabilitation system where I was uh, basically anchored in a wire in the, in the ceiling and I had to to walk this is in in development so it's 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 quite um it's quite newer technologies, but but basically I I was um, anchored with this this wire in the the ceiling, and I had to walk out in that big open uh, room, and I realized that this was actually scary for me to uh, to walk out in this uh, this room because it was basically a big hall I was walking out in, and 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 that was in essence really scary to do because i was a long way away from anything i could hold on to so so again the the, um, the psychology is actually uh, the thing that is the hardest for this 
And the same goes for exoskeletons because I, I tested a, an exoskeleton from Kyogo uh, some uh, some month ago, and I would probably be able to walk in that exoskeleton without my crutches, but I felt that I had to use my crutches because I was scared to uh, to fall over actually. So that taught me a lot about the mind games your body is and your mind is uh, is putting you through when uh, when you're going in, well, basically out of your comfort zone, right? So that is that is one thing. Yeah, that makes sense. But being a test pilot, I, I love it. It is a pilot. You're piloting an exoskeleton. I like that. It is absolutely fun to uh, to try these devices and uh, and and see how um, how they differ from each other. As I said, I also tried the, the Kyogo. No, sorry, the uh, Cyberdyne exoskeleton last week, and and that exoskeleton is probably the most advanced exoskeleton out there right now, where basically it uh, it is uh, controlled by the the impulses uh, from your uh, the, the nerve impulses. So you, I got seven, I think, electrodes on my my leg that basically um, moved the exoskeleton as I would uh, move my leg. So my my mind is basically I'm I'm moving my leg and simultaneously the exoskeleton is moving my leg because it also uh, reads the nerve signals. So that was a a fun experience. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's really, it's exciting to hear about the latest exoskeletons and actually that you're actually being able to use them because I feel like sometimes we know that they're being built, but then the fact that people are actually pilot testing them and that for you, it's it's a fun and exciting experience, I think is also really cool. And I think it's such an important point though, that your first point of the safety and you talked more about sort of this physical safety of like being scared to not have crutches or to be walking in this hall where it doesn't feel like there's something you can grab onto. But something we also talked about earlier that kind of reminded me of this is you're talking about the types of questions that people ask you or people's discomfort when talking about (laughs) disability. And it kind of like we're talking about this like physical safety and psychological safety. and, And I think also creating like this maybe emotional safety or like this space where probably even ahead of time, you're learning from the user, like what would make them feel the most safe in terms of testing. But then also, how do you have these conversations that I think sometimes can feel a little awkward or uncomfortable to ask about? And I'm curious if you have any advice for engineers who, I guess, um, historically or stereotypically, maybe also haven't had the best reputation in terms of emotional um, intelligence and and conversation. Um, But yeah, just in terms of making people feel comfortable and how to better have difficult conversations. I mean, maybe it's just because I'm from from the North, but I I would much rather say that people should just ask the questions. I mean, maybe maybe it's a question of generation, but I mean, the, the whole thing of people getting uh, offended by by the slightest misstep is becoming a problem for people to actually uh, ask the, the the right questions. As you said, I've been uh, I've, I have answered questions about basically anything, but but I I am probably an outliner in that uh, in. It just accepting people asking fun questions and actually just uh, enjoying the the conversations that comes along with this. 
But I don't necessarily think that the, the engineers need to, to ask these questions. Maybe, uh, maybe it's more a question of when we look at a bit into the future and we, we, we have these exoskeletons actually being able to, uh, being available, they are available, but more available to a more uh, affordable price. How do we set up the first training sessions for this? Because you would obviously need some training when you get an exoskeleton to be able to actually uh, operate them safely. How do we implement psychological safety into this? And this is why I believe we need to have a multidisciplinary approach to this, because how do we set these uh, these programs up is going to be important in, for how uh, well these devices will be um, accepted by the users. Yeah, I like that you're thinking of the big picture, like zooming out and saying what, what happens in the future, everyone's using them, what does that look like? And that actually leads well into our final question that we love to ask is, what are you excited about for the future? Bionics or you have a hashtag in your LinkedIn called hashtag future trends. Yeah, <laughs> what, what are you excited about in that space? To follow up on your um, your last remark with, uh, with with me looking into the future, I mean, when I realized how big this uh, this technology was, it felt like an explosion of the mind. It just it felt like you the mind just expanded out in in really 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 long long out in in the horizon. I have many things I want to see with this technology. One of the things I would like to see a, a lot is implementing this exoskeleton technology in less uh, fortunate countries around the world where where a disability could quite possibly lead to a life in poverty and and, and unfortunately often an early uh, death basically and the, the whole thing with with disability is basically an inability to uh, to 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 take the same work as your your peers would be able to and i would very much like to see exoskeletons implemented of course not these uh, these big well not necessarily of course but if we are realistic it it's probably not going to be this over engineered exoskeletons we are seeing uh, on the market right now it it probably needs to be quite uh, quite a lot more uh, more simple but I want to see exoskeletons rolled out in the third world because that could potentially be a factor that could reduce some of the poverty among this uh, this group of people. This is basically my uh, my dream scenario. This is what I would would like to be able to do in in well, hopefully not 20 years, but in uh, in maybe 10, 20 years, I want to see this technology be used for good in the world so so everybody can live the life they uh, they deserve that is i guess i am a humanitarian <laughs> in, in, in heart i i i always i always uh, look for uh, ways how, how technology can be used for uh, for the improvement of yeah, humanity but also i'm absolutely sure that we can uh, we can most technology, most of our uh, problems, issues can be solved by technology. It's just a question of using the technology the right way. So, but on a more um, down-to-earth <laughs> uh, scenario, uh, scenario for the future, I um, I hope that within five, ten years, that exoskeletons become much more uh, 
common common sight so 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 people can get out of the wheelchairs and can can live in a way so uh, so they they can live a life without the disease and the the, the the disease from sitting down too much basically it is a question of living the the life you want and living a, a healthy life you shouldn't be you shouldn't be forced into to a life a life where you're basically forced to be uh, unhealthy because you're sitting down right going back to what you said before you know not just living the life you can live but living the life that you yeah, want yeah, to live exactly. so and i think after, yeah yeah and after this conversation i think we're it was just so inspiring we really appreciate you being so open and willing to share your experience and share it in a way that i think is so powerful and relatable and understandable and inspiring to us and it, we just like see your motivation for really helping people shine through and i think you're helping us all remember at the end of the day it is just about helping people and helping others just live the best life that they can so thank you for for sharing everything that you did i'm i'm excited for how this will touch our community and, and how it will inspire others and we really appreciate it thank you for having me it was it was a pleasure being here speaking with you That was such an awesome conversation. And I'm just so glad that we got to talk to Jonas and that he was so open and sharing all of his perspectives and stories with us. Yeah, we really appreciate him being on. And we really appreciate all of you, our listeners, for taking the time to listen to this episode. We want to thank the International Society of Biomechanics, the Stanford Neuromuscular Biomechanics Laboratory, and Peter Washington for all of the boom music. Professor Peter Washington. Professor Washington. If you'd like to submit a research fail, someone to interview, get involved, email us at biomechanicsonourminds at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at biomechanicsoom. And make sure to check out Boom on YouTube, as well as our website, biomechanicsonourminds.com, in case you didn't know the URL. (laughs) I'm Melissa. And I'm Hannah. Biomechanics Biomechanics off our our minds. minds.